Welcome to our podcast. We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. As a church, we're currently working through the Book of Romans. If you would like to watch the live video from this episode, head over to VintageCityChurch.tv and we hope you enjoy this message. Turn with me, if you will, please, to Romans chapter 9. I get the privilege of teaching one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture. It has divided nations, denominations, churches, families. So be encouraged. Yeah. And I will not answer any of your questions today because that's not really what we're going to talk about because it can't be debated completely in 20 minutes. And plus, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I had my iPad crashed. Apples normally don't do that, and so um, it's just irritating. So last night when I went back to review my notes that I added stuff to Saturday morning, Friday night and Saturday morning, they weren't there, and my, my iPad wasn't there. And then so I loaded my Mac and for some reason it didn't transfer, so it wasn't there. And then I got to be on my phone. I looked there and it was partially there. And so I've been a little interested in what God is going to say because we don't have complete notes. But it's okay. I've learned to trust Him in whatever happens, even when apples crash. And I love the fact that I used to live where there were four Apple stores within a half an hour, maybe even 15 minutes, a couple of them. And now I have to drive to Boulder to go to an Apple store. This is a college town. We need to petition Apple to open up an Apple store in Fort Collins. How many agree? Yeah, my goodness. It's like, come on. So I have Apple Care that I can't get to a store with anyway. So much for my frustration. Verse 14, are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I will choose to show mercy to, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So God, so it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. Chew on that one for a minute. For the scripture says that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well, then you might ask, does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? Don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another throw in the garbage? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is patient with those on whom his anger falls who are destined for destruction." He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those he shows mercy who are prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, 
Those who are not my people are now called my people. That's us. If you're not Jewish, that's us. This is a prophecy by Hosea to us. You were not my people, and now you are my people. And to those whom I did not love, I love, bef- I love now. And then in that place, they were told, you are not my people. They will be called the children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried, though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand on the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out a sentence upon the earth and quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of hosts had not spared a few of our children, we have been, would have been wiped out like Sodom and destroyed like Gomorrah. Shift. Key verse. What does this mean? If you're wanting to know what chapter 9 means, Paul's going to give us the answer. What does this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in him, and they stumbled over a great rock in their path. God warned them of this in Scripture when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that will make them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. This is from Isaiah 26, verse 16. Verse 1 of chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart, he starts chapter 9 and chapter 10 with the same concept. He longs for his Jewish brothers and sisters to come to know the Lord. The longing of my heart and my prayer is for God's people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Hitler was zealous. Zeal alone does not make things truthful. For they don't understand the way, God's way of making people right with themselves, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all, all who believe in him are made right with God. Four things I want to mention before we actually get into the text. And as the old guy, walked with the Lord for several decades... I say that all the time because I think there needs to be history. I've known Pastor Greg since he was 15. We've been friends for 35 years. There's history. And whenever I look at a passage of Scripture, not just Romans 9, but any passage of Scripture, I don't try to explain everything about the mystery of the passage or the mercy of the passage. You can't. Four weeks ago, I think it was, or three weeks ago, I stood in one of the transition and we sang a song about the mystery in the song. There was the term mystery. And it struck me so much about how mystery comes in our life. And it was the same Sunday that Bill Johnson at Bethel was giving a message after his wife died three days before. And he talked about the mystery. And it has been all over Facebook, it's been all over Christendom, basically, talking about the mysteries that God does. I want to encourage you, you will never know the answer to all your mysteries. You will never know the answer to all the mysteries of Scripture. You'll never know the answer. Paul says your marriage is a mystery. 
You don't have to be married very long to realize, I don't understand this person I just married. Right? That's not a bad thing. That's the way God created us. That's why there is gender difference. The mystery. John chapter 9 Verses, well, the whole chapter is on the man born blind. In verse one, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. I don't know about you, but I don't like babies born blind. I don't like that. I don't think that's fair for that person. I don't like what happened to him. And the disciples asked Jesus the same thing you and I ask. I want a pat answer. I want a simple answer. I want a simple explanation. Why did this guy, why was he born blind? What's going on? He had to have sinned or his parents sinned. We go there all the time. That happened to them, you know. They got in a car wreck because, you know, I heard they were, and, you know, you never know about that kind of stuff. You know, that happened to them because they walked away from the Lord, and so God got them. We love to say they sinned, that's why that happened to them. There's something sinful about that, so therefore that had to happen to them. And Jesus doesn't even really answer the question. He says, neither. This happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him. Same thing with Pharaoh. I don't have time to get into how he hardened his heart. It says in Romans 1 that God gives people over when they have a predisposition to something and they persist in sin. That's a fact. God will harden people's hearts when they walk in that direction. And he wants to display his glory through all of humankind. But the fact is, if we try to ask God, you know what mystery means? It means secret, unknown, hidden. Some things in your life are going to be hidden till you see him face to face. Other things are going to be hidden for a decade or two. Or when you finally go, man, I was so stupid. That's why that happened. I wish everything we knew in hindsight. But the fact is, there is the mystery. And when you read chapter 9, you can't take it and understand all of the mystery. The second thing, throughout my life, my Christian life, I've always looked at the necessity of the entirety of Scripture. How many denominations or church splits or family splits or marriage splits have happened because somebody takes one Scripture, pulls it on a context, and builds a doctrine on it? I would build a church of spittle. Why? Because Jesus used spittle to heal somebody. And this is the first sanctified church of spittle. That's how stupid we are. Come on. The snake that Moses held up that healed people, they made an idol out of it. We do it all the time. God uses a certain thing in our life and we bow down to it. We think the act or the thing that brought about the act is what we need to worship when we need to worship him. We need to understand the entirety of scripture because heresy means one-sided. Heresy is the idea of one-handed. Heresy is the idea of that which you've gone to extreme. And so we have the Calvinists and the Arminianists fighting for centuries, and somehow on Sunday morning, in 15 minutes, we're going to explain it. Think about the entirety of Scripture. What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever means whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a passage in Peter. I hate notes. 
You must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord doesn't really, he's not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is patient for your sake. He does not want any to be to perish or be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Okay, so you have Paul's words in Romans 9. You have John's words in John 3.16. You have Peter's words in 2 Peter 3. That's the context of Scripture. And if you pull any of those things out of context, you know, a, a, a con- out of any text out of context becomes heresy or a pretext for heresy. We've got to understand that. Take the entirety. He gave us 66 books. That's why when people say, you know, the Old Testament isn't for the day, you don't understand the Old Testament. It points to who we're serving today. This whole thing is for instruction. All scriptures God breathed, whether you understand it or I understand it or not. The fourth, the third thing is we've got to understand the historical context. That doesn't mean, well, it was historical then, so they have truths that we don't today. I'm not saying that. We've got to understand in the Roman culture, the Roman population was completely heathen. A pantheon of gods, ancestral gods. And the Jews who were coming back had just been expelled for the umpteenth hundred time from somewhere and been severely persecuted. If I'm a new believer, I'm gonna latch on to somebody that's walked with God for a while to try to understand the things of God. You think these Roman Christians were coming to the Messianic Jews and saying, tell us about this Messiah, and they were reverting back to what? Well, you gotta do this, 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 and this, or you're not really a Christian. And that's what Paul is addressing throughout this book. Throughout the book, he constantly goes back to that. For all of sin. You think you're righteous? You think you don't steal? Do you rob temples? Throughout the book, he's going back to that same thing. And then we've got to understand the Reformation period, which a lot of the Calvinistic thought came from, of God predestined some to heaven and predestined some to hell. I don't know about you, but that's, to me, just... I can't wrap my hand around that being my father in heaven. But you've got to understand what Luther was writing for, what Calvin was writing about, especially Luther. They would find a thorn, dry it out, stick it in some box or in some glass case, and say this thorn came from the thorn of the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. And if you pay money and pray to this relic, you will get healed or you will have salvation or your family will have salvation. They would take a piece of a a wooden beam and say this was a piece from the cross. They were using strips of cloth saying this was from the robe of Christ. You say, how stupid is that? But the fact is there were relics that they were manufacturing so that the church could be funded. And Martin Luther comes along and says, you can't buy indulgences. I wish I could get everybody a, a get-out-of-jail-free card at least once. Wouldn't it be nice to just say, give me 500 bucks, and I, I can send my brains out for a weekend? Not really. That's what they were doing. So Luther is raised up by God to bring truth to the fact there's no relics, there's no indulgences, justification by faith. Period. 
That's what they were dealing with. So then you take 15th century historical facts, try to apply it to us today. The last time I looked, Vintage wasn't selling relics for our new building fund. We didn't come up with a piece of a nail and say, this was the nail from Christ. And if you pray to it real hard and then give $1,500 to chairs for the building fund, you will get saved. No, we're dealing with different things. And then we've got to understand that this passage of scripture is an intersection of the sovereignty of God and I believe the responsibility of man. Jews made their works the reason for acceptance. And Paul was saying, that's why I read through chapter, or verse four of chapter 10. He says, all are made right through faith with Christ. Read it in context. So what does this mean? Chapter 9, verse 30 says, this is what it means. What does it mean? These are the takeaways. Number one, beware. I challenge you, beware of human endeavor trying to succeed in the kingdom of God and manufacture the grace of God. Be careful of human endeavor. You say, well, I, I don't do that. Yeah, some of you came into church today. I can't really worship because you don't know what I did Friday night, Pastor. You don't know that I haven't read my Bible for a month. You don't know that I haven't prayed or witnessed all the things I'm supposed to do as a believer. You don't understand that. So therefore, God's angry with me. We always put time and distance between a sin we've committed and approaching him like somehow he forgets. The Galatian church, oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Why have you started in the spirit and now you perfect in the flesh? What Paul is saying in the end of chapter nine is understand there are works of the flesh that will not count for righteousness in your life. It amazes me in the history of the church in Acts 15, the first missionaries are sent out. You remember who they were? A guy by the name of Barnabas and a guy by the name of Saul who becomes Paul, who writes half the New Testament. They go and in their first missionary journey see a scad, that's a bunch, a whole bunch of Gentiles come to know Jesus. And the Jewish believers go, wait a minute, these are new converts. We've got to make sure they know all of the laws of Moses or they're not really gonna be able to succeed in this new adventure called faith. There's, I told the first gathering, there's one thing I would love to see. You know, like they always say in heaven, you're gonna be able to look back, it's gonna be like a video camera and you're gonna be able to see a video of something. I hope not. But there is one thing I would love to see. I would love to see the discussion that Paul had with these Judaizers, Paul and Barnabas, because it says that they had a fierce discussion. Everybody wants a New Testament church. Sometimes we don't want fierce discussions says he vehemently opposed them. It's very strong in the Greek. Not because I'd like, get him, Paul. I would just like to see the debate. I'd like to experience the dialogue, find out what they're thinking, what they're saying. And in Acts 15, they reduced the gospel to four things. Don't eat, drink blood, 
abstain from sexual immorality, don't eat meat sacrificed idols, and don't sleep with somebody that's not your wife, basically. But I thought it was, you had to be circumcised. You had to follow the law of Moses. I thought you had to read your Bible a lot. I thought you had to pray more. I thought you had to buy a relic. See what we add to? The second thing is this. Paul says in other places and throughout the scripture it is mentioned, God wants all, all to experience salvation. All, everybody. Whosoever will means whosoever will. We memorize John 3.16 as a little kid in Sunday school. For God so loved the world that whosoever means whosoever. God in his foreknowledge knows where you're going to be. God sits at the hub of time. He is the to be God, which means he's always present. But because he's the to be God, he is the once was God, always will be God, will continue to be God. He can sit at the hub of time, know where I've come from, know where I'm at now, and know where I'm going. Therefore, he can predestine things for me. He has predestined things for every one of us in Christ that we need to walk in. God is not willing that any should perish, Peter says. So if we take the, the, the three apostles, even though Peter wasn't called one, but he, called, he was called one, but he wasn't one of the original 12. You take Peter, you take John, you take Paul, and you have the context of God has preached the gospel. He says we're going to get into in chapter 10 so that you can hear, and therefore when you hear, you unite it with faith and you become saved when you speak it out of your mouth. Revelation, chapter 5, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and with your blood you have ransomed, bought back people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That sounds like whosoever will to me. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe are made right with God. The third thing I want to have you as, give you as a takeaway. There will be stumbling blocks in your life, but don't you be one in somebody else's life. There's a rock of offense. Jesus is the cornerstone. The cornerstone was laid first. All the rest of the foundation stones are measured by the cornerstone. But he's also the capstone, which means he's the finisher. He's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. But in between, one of the things that were revelation to me probably 30 years ago when I read a little book called Prisoner in the Third Cell by Gene Edwards who wrote Tale of Three Kings. Read them both if you haven't. You can read them in a couple hours, either one of them. And he states that John the Baptist, and it was such revelation to me because I'd seen it happen in my own life. God offends us, church. God allows us to be offended. We don't like that. Just like it allows babies to be born blind. We don't understand it. It's a mystery. But John says he's sitting in prison, about ready to lose his head. He's about ready to have his head chopped off. 
because he stood for righteousness. And he's in prison and he goes, wait a minute, this is not what I bargained for. This is not why I became a prophet. I don't wanna lose my head. And he sends a message to Jesus through his disciples. Are you the one or do we need somebody else to look for? And Jesus doesn't even answer him except this. He says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And then he makes a statement. Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. Why does God offend us? Why are there stumbling blocks? There are stumbling blocks to get our eyes off of the block and onto Jesus. Stumbling blocks come because if not, we, you and I, which go on paths, we've all backpacked and hiked and mountain biked and rode and walked in these mountains. And you see where somebody's like, I hate these switchbacks. I'm going to cut right through there and I'm going to get to that other path. And then they just destroy this trail and it has erosion. And then you see the forest service come, they pile sticks, rocks. So you can't take that shortcut. Guess what? God puts things in your path so you can't take shortcuts. John Wesley once said, I quit taking shortcuts because they take too long. And when you try to short circuit what God's doing, he sometimes allows you to sit in a prison so that you come to an understanding of, I don't know what he's doing, but I know who he is. We sang about it. He is good. He is good. He is good. He is good. If you got tired of saying he is good all the time, read Psalms. Read Second Chronicles. It was the hymn of the Old Testament. He is good, and his mercy endures forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. David Mitchell and our teaching team said, humility leads to Jesus being the cornerstone, and pride leads to him being a stumbling block. God, help us to see that we don't have to understand everything. We can rejoice in who you are. I say it again this morning. You are God all by yourself. There's no one like you. You are good all of the time. You have my best interest in mind, and you are leading my life. And surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the presence of the Lord for eternity. What an incredible God you are. Father, help us to be those that proclaim who you are to a lost and dying world. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any questions on this chapter, ask Pastor Dustin. God bless you. (laughs) Have a great week. Thank you for your time with us. We would love to have you join us at a live gathering on Sunday. Our address is 1501 Academy Court, and it's just off of Prospect Road in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, please go to VintageCityChurch.com, and we'll see you next time.